Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I want to start out today by reading some Scripture from Philippians chapter 4. These are the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the early Christians in Philippi. He's uh, writing about a letter of appreciation to them for what they have done in supporting his life's work and supporting the ministry of Jesus Christ and uh, the source of his happiness and the recipe in which he's found for contentment. So let's look at these words together from the message translation. Paul writes, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess, happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me, not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. You Philippians well know, and you can be sure, I'll never forget it, that when I left Macedonia province, venturing out with the message, not one church helped out in the give and take of this work except you. You were the only one. Even while I was in Thessalonica, you helped out, and not only once, but twice. Not that I'm looking for handouts, but I do want you to experience the blessing that issues from generosity. And now I have it all, and I keep getting more. The gifts you sent with Ephrodites were more than enough, like a sweet-smelling sacrifice roasting on the altar, filling the air with fragrance, pleasing God no end. You can be sure that God will take care of everything you need, His generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Our God and Father abounds in glory that just pours out into eternity. Yes. Did you know that amen means yes? So whenever you say amen, you're saying yes. You agree with all that. Uh, This week, I want to talk with you uh, about what I think is one of the most important topics that you could ever begin to address as a follower of Jesus. And before I do that, I want to remember a person that taught me a lot of what I'm going to share with you today. My grandmother, Jenny, was one of those names that I wrote on the back window last week on All Saints Sunday when we remembered those people that impacted our lives. Grandma Jenny uh, lived in the same house with us until uh, she died when I was 15 years of age. She, more than anybody else, impacted me in so many ways and faith. She was an amazing woman. Now, church for her was a lot different the way it is for us today. She would wear a hat. She wore a big dress hat. I mean, she believed that you put on your Sunday best. She wore these long white gloves. Anybody wearing long white gloves today? And she would sit in this pew, and she had this beautiful pocketbook. Uh, She was prim and proper. And out of that pocketbook, she would always bring two things out during worship, gum to keep me quiet, and her offering. Grandma Jenny taught me three things, essentially, in life. She taught me how to pray, and we would pray often together, And it was real, 
real stuff. We would also take a memory verse. She had a stack of memory cards on her bookshelf. And a hundred years ago, this is what people did when they came to Sunday school. They took a memory verse and they would, we would memorize that verse. Not that I'm, I'm not saying that was a hundred years for me, but I'm just saying for her. And you would memorize scripture every week. And I cannot tell you how valuable that was for me as a kid memorizing scripture. And she taught me about giving. She taught me that for every dollar that you, that you earned or that you were given, there was a dime that was to be given to God. And that was something that, that stuck with me the rest of my life. And so today, well, how many of you heard about Dave Ramsey? You heard, you heard of Dave Ramsey? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm the other guy, okay? I'm the other guy. Goodyear blimp, you've seen the Goodyear blimp. blimp. Uh, Goodrich used to say, uh, well, we're the other guy. Well, I'm not Dave Ramsey today. But what I want to talk about is, to me, one of the most important spiritual practices anybody can learn. And that is about a, a life philosophy that governs your life and the importance of giving out of that life philosophy. And because I have such a soft heart for grandmas, I think I was particularly attracted to this book that came out this year called Life's Greatest Lesson. Life's Greatest Lesson is a story about a couple that lived a hundred years ago, or at least were born a hundred years ago, in what Tom Brokaw calls America's Greatest Generation. So if you were born before 1928, you were a part of life of, the, of, of this culture's greatest generation. Uh, the people that really knew about sacrifice, the people that in many ways endured the Great Depression as kids, went through the World War, and uh, gave so much of themselves in life. And so out of this generation, there came Tom and Lavish Grace, not their real names, but names that have been given to them in the book. And the story is told through a 10-year-old boy. I love this. So he's telling the lesson that he learned from his grandparents through the eyes of a 10-year-old. If you want to know what you really believe and what you're really about in your life, and you've got a 10-year-old kid in your life, just ask them. They'll tell you everything, and they'll be accurate based on what they observe. And so when, when this 10-year-old boy saw the life and the word and the teaching and the practices of his grandparents, this is the story that he told. Now, when Lavish, that's Grandma Lavish, when she was six years old, she lived in Florida. And in the afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon, the family would always go out with many of the townspeople to the beach. They would go out to the beach, and as a six-year-old, Lavish went out to the water and she got into deeper water than she imagined it being, and she began to drown. And the first person that saw Lavish, this six-year-old girl flailing her arms in the water, was Father Kasika. Father Kasika was the local Catholic priest. And he furiously began to swim toward Lavish. And by the time he got to her, she was already turning blue. And as soon as he could, he got her to a flat surface on a boat nearby, and he administered CPR, and in a moment, she was spitting up the water, and she was beginning to, blue, uh, to breathe, and she became once again normal. But in the midst of that happening, Father Kasika put his own hands on his own heart, and he suffered a massive heart attack as what he did for Lavish 
and he died. Now imagine what's going on in everyone's hearts and minds as they see this public event of this little girl being saved and the priest that gave up his life to save her. And one of the things that this little six-year-old lavish notice was on Father Kasika's wrist was a bracelet. And on that bracelet, there was inscribed one word. The word was love. And so she got the idea of creating a bracelet for herself that would describe her life philosophy. Twenty years later, she was a young woman, and she had the practice of placing herself in the presence of God. You know, if I could encourage you to do one thing to stay sane in life and to grow as a person is to find five or ten minutes a day at least and go place yourself in front of Jesus. Now, what Lavish would do is she would place herself as a Catholic in front of a crucifix. I mean, don't take your phone with you. Don't have anybody around you. If you live in a home where you've got other people, you've got to find a time and a place where it's totally quiet. And she would place herself and not say anything, but simply look at Jesus. That is a powerful spiritual practice of meditation. And as she would look at Jesus, and this does happen to people. It happened to her. It happens to us in different ways. Some of us get words. Some of us get pictures. Some of us get images. She got a vision. And in this vision, she saw Father Kasika, the priest that had saved her life, standing next to Jesus. And the priest takes his hands, and he places his hands over Jesus' heart. And in that moment, something of a connection happened for her that she had never seen before. In that connection, she saw that the priest that had saved her life pointed to the person that ultimately saved her life in Jesus Christ in giving himself for her completely. And there was a love that was poured into her heart, a love that she had never known before that overwhelmed her, that changed her, and empowered her in a deep way that she carried with her the rest of her life. And out of that experience, the L on her bracelet began to be developed, L standing for love all you can. And it was her desire then that she created this philosophy behind it where she was not going to love people halfway, but she was going to love people with everything that she had, if we could have that up there. That was the first letter. And then E stands for earn. She developed the practice of earning what she could in life. Her husband, Tom, was an engineer. They made $16,000 in the 1940s. That was a lot of money. She made cakes in which she earned money herself. And so there was the value that this generation had of the importance of earning money. I think that's one of the most critical lessons that anybody can learn in life is to get a job and to get a paycheck and to begin to develop the understanding of the blessing of contributing to culture and people and society by earning. I think one of the greatest lessons any teenager can have in life is to get a job. 
and to get a job that means that you have to serve people, uh, something that you have to do with your physical hands, something that doesn't require necessarily a lot of gifts or talents because it will change the way you think and the way that you serve and the way that you appreciate people for the rest of your life. Nothing in starting out in work should be beneath us. There's the value of earning. And out of that earning of money, they developed a philosophy, Tom and Lavish Grace, that you use money and love people. And she said, don't ever get that backwards. We in a culture oftentimes love money and we use people. We use people in a utilitarian way. But her philosophy was you always use money as you make it and love people. Don't ever get that backwards. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about in terms of earning money. But I want us to go on to the last two letters in that bracelet that Lavish lived and, and wore in her life. The last two letters are GS. We'll go to the last letter, S, first, which means save all you can. This is one of the most important things to learn in life. Dave Ramsey puts it this way, that when you're starting out in life, you may be a young person today. You're just beginning to graduate from college. Or you're starting out as a couple. And you don't have anything. One of the most important things you can learn to do is to find $1,000, to save the money till you get $1,000 so that you've got an emergency fund of $1,000 that you can access at any time. Because something during the year is going to happen that's unexpected that should be expected. The car is going to break down. The washer and dryer is going to blow up. Something's going to happen. And so 66% of people in our culture live from paycheck to paycheck. Getting that $1,000 in savings is not an easy thing to do, but it's the first thing that we can begin to practice and to do in life. It's very important. Now, friends, I came across something um, a week ago, a statistic I couldn't believe. In this country, of all the money that's inherited by people, how long do you think it takes, or what's the percentage of inheritance that's gone in five years? Of all the money that's inherited from one generation to another, how much money is spent of that inheritance within five years? Anybody want to venture a guess? It's 90%. 90% of it is squandered, is gone. You know, if you are someone that has money and resources to give to your next generation, I recommend a will, not a will, but a revocable or an irrevocable trust because we are a people that we do not know how to manage money. I'm not talking about anybody in this room, just talking about everybody else, okay? Uh, we don't know how to do this. We don't value the importance of savings, or we don't practice it. And one of the most important things you can do is to build a savings account where you regularly set aside, what, 10% of your, uh, of your income if you can? And you build a savings fund in which you have available to you three to six months of savings so that if you lose a job or something devastating happens in your life, you have the resources to get you through that darkness and that, that challenge event in your life. It's so important to learn how to do that. 
It's critically important. So to save all we can. Now, one of the things that Tom and Lavish did in doing this was they always lived beneath their means. You know, Mark Twain says we always live beneath our means, even if we have to borrow to do it. (laughs) But to live beneath our means. And what that means is uh, we don't always have to have the newest technology. We don't always have to drive the nicest car. And if we get to that place in life where we make some money, where we could purchase about anything we wanted, do we really have to? Does life consist in the abundance of our possessions? Jesus says no to that. But what they did, Tom and Lavish, uh, he drove an old pickup truck. She drove a Honda. And what they found is that all the money that they saved, they weren't surrounded by stuff when they died. How many of you have had parents where you've had to clean out their stuff? Oh, my goodness. It's ridiculous. And in this country, we buy rental space all over the place just to do what do we do with our stuff. And so out of that, when Lavish dies, Tom says these words. If we had spent all our money on stuff, I'd be sitting in that house with piles of nice things and have no idea what to do with it, surrounded by stuff. But instead, we gave to help people. And I am surrounded by love, all the people we loved and who love us too. You know, at the end, what's important? That we're surrounded by stuff? That we're surrounded by possessions? Or is it that we're surrounded by people that we've invested in, that we've loved, that we've been generous to? They say when Lavish died, hundreds of people came to her visitation. Hundreds of people came to her funeral. You know, Yogi Berra got it right when he said, you know, when you die, I mean, uh, when people die, you want to go to their funeral so that when you die, they'll go to yours. (laughs) Yogi died a couple months ago. There's a lot of people at his funeral. But that's not the point. The point is, what's your legacy? What's your heritage? And what are we teaching our children? That stuff is what is important in life? That technology that gets old in 18 months is critically important to our resources? Really? (laughs) Don't you think that saving, less spending, is a discipline that sets us on a pathway that frees us up from so much financial stress and helps us to honor God and sets us up with the ability to be generous. That's G. That's what G stands for. Give all you can. And so they had the philosophy of love all you can, earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. Where did they get this idea of giving all you can? Well, it was during a sermon. It was during a homily that the priest was giving in the Catholic church that they attended. And the priest was telling the story about Jesus observing this woman, a widow, that put in her widow's might, two little copper coins. Before her, many wealthy people had come by, and the wealthy people had given in their lots of money, lots, lots, huge gifts. But when this woman came by the treasury box just outside the temple, Jesus called the apprentices. He called his disciples over. He says, wait, come here, guys. I want to show you something. Did you see what just happened here? 
all these people that had so much money. They gave out of their abundance. But this woman, did you see what she did? She gave everything she had. And out of, out of that story, the priest said this to the congregation that day, that the amount of money that we give is not measured by what we have or what we've been given, but what, what we have left after we've given the gift. And he suggested that people learn the practice of tithing, actually given, giving 10% of their giving to God. Well, you know what happened was they went to lunch. And Lavish turns to Tom and she says, let's get our checkbook out and let's see how much we've given to God this past year. Given to charity, given to our church. What have we given? Now today, you probably wouldn't get out your checkbook. How many people really write checks? You would go into your statements. You'd find a way in which you discover and you look. Black and white. What is it that we actually give of our percentage of our income to God? That's what they did. And they found out in 1949, they gave 1.7% of Tom's $16,000 that he was making as an engineer. And they decided that they would begin to move toward tithing. And so they made the decision that they would increase their giving 1% a year. And you know, this may not sound very spiritual to you. It may sound like this is so methodical and so calculated, but here's the deal. Why do you develop a giving plan? is the same reason you develop any plan. Because without a plan, without a goal, we don't achieve things. But putting something down on a piece of paper in black and white on the screen in front of us means that we're beginning to be intentional about this. And what Tom and Lavish did was by 1958, real people, they began to tithe 10% of their income to God. And out of that, they decided, where does that percentage go to? And 5% would go to St. Joseph, their parish, their church, because they felt like that was where they were receiving the resources, their spirituality. It was ministering to their family. They wanted to support St. Joseph's work in the community. And so 5% they chose would go to their church. 2%, in their case, went to orphans in Haiti. Now, I don't know what your heartthrob is or what your passion is, but there's something in me that says internationally some of our income, some of our tithing should go to something beyond the borders of this country, that we have got to continue to be aware of the global crisis of humanity and the billions of people that are suffering in impoverished conditions throughout this world and particularly just close to our hemisphere in places like Haiti and Nicaragua. But, you know, there's something they chose to give to orphans in Haiti. They gave 2% to scholarships because they cared about students. They cared about young people. They gave to kids that were going through confirmation. They gave to students as they were going to college. And 1%, they had a nudge fund. I love this. Because they decided that in the event of a year, you never know when you're going to be given an opportunity to give something that you couldn't foresee. It might be a hurricane that happens somewhere. It might be some person in your life that is really just out of resources, and you want to help pay that person's rent that month. But there was a nudge fund that they created of 1% that gave them leverage. Now, friends, this is not prescriptive for us, but it's descriptive of what a plan would look like. 
what's your life philosophy? Do you know what your life philosophy is? Can you be able to state that to someone in a crisp, clear way? Their life philosophy was love all you can, earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. And out of their life philosophy, they developed a giving plan. And in that giving plan, they believed that it was scriptural, that it was spiritual, and it was right for them to tithe 10% of their earnings to God. Where do we get this idea of tithing? Do you know that the scriptures are remarkably clear about this? You read in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, and you've got this practice of giving 10% of what you have to God. It was a commodity of grain where if, if you had 10 acres of grain, you would give that one acre to God. It was very easy. If you had the fruit of the tree, you would had 10 trees, you'd give the fruit of the one tree to God. It was easy pickings. It was easy to understand and decide. It's a little bit more complicated for us, and yet the picture is still very clear. It's amazing how in the prophets and in the law section of the Old Testament, as well as in the wisdom literature, the importance of giving and tithing is very, very clear. In Malachi 3, verse 10, the prophet of the last book that's listed in the Old Testament says, Will a person rob God? Yet you have robbed me. How have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. And then he says this. Bring your tithe to the storehouse. Bring your tithe to God and see if I will not pour out a blessing upon you. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to go with prosperity gospel. But the principle is, is something that Jesus continued to teach. That the measure in which you give in life, and this is true in so many ways. You invest in other people. You give money. You give resources. You give time. You give talent. You live for other people. The more that you give in life, to bless other people, the more you receive back. That's what Jesus taught. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, it will roll out of your lap. And Jesus never set aside the practice of tithing. In fact, Jesus Christ said this. He said, when you tithe, not if you tithe, he said, when you tithe, you do a good thing. But as you tithe, remember the weightier things of love and justice. Jesus endorsed the practice of tithing, but he also endorsed the motivation of giving out of a sense of love and justice and compassion. And we'll talk more about that motivation next week. So I want to encourage you to develop a giving plan in your life that flows out of your life philosophy. This past week, we mailed out a brochure to everyone that regularly attends and participates at Schweitzer, a brochure of experiencing the blessing. And in that brochure, there is a giving plan card. And what I want to invite you to do this week is to prayerfully gather with uh, other people in your life, if you live with other people in your household, and to think about what the percentage of giving that you want to provide in your giving plan. You start by looking at what you actually give. 
and you look at how many resources of that do you want to give to Schweitzer? And then what are some other things that you have a compassion and care about? You know, for Susan and I, we, we tithe 10% to Schweitzer. We just do that. We always have with every church we've pastored. I'm not saying you need to do that, but we also want to give. We give to some missions and missionaries in China because we were thinking about people outside the United States. We also give to Stumo Ministry, a ministry of Missouri State, because we see the fruit in that ministry, and we believe in Blake and Amanda Brewer. And we have a 1% where we are able to then give to other needs and individuals as things arise. This is so liberating. <laughs> this, this is so liberating and freeing to be able to decide we've got to say to our money what we want our money to do, not money to tell us what to do. And when we begin to figure out our resources, when we begin to save, when we begin to decide what our giving plan is, then we can grow in that giving. And at the end of life, we're not surrounded by stuff. But we made a difference. We're surrounded by love. We know that the legacy lives on. We know that the faith lives on. We know that people have come to Jesus because of us. We know that people that were poor or impoverished were helped along the way. We know that because we've invested ourselves and we die without regrets. And there's not a better time to do that than when we're young. And if we haven't started yet, there's not a better time to start doing that than now. I want to end with just some snippets of that scripture that we read at the beginning of the message from of what Paul writes to the Philippians about giving. I found the recipe for being happy. Experience the blessing that comes from generosity. The gifts you sent were more than enough, like a sweet-smelling sacrifice roasting on the altar, filling the air with fragrance, pleasing to God no end. And you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need his generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus.